Welcome to Ground Up, a podcast about propelling entrepreneurship in Uganda. Brought to you by UEEI, the Uganda Entrepreneurial Ecosystem Initiative. I'm your host, Hamna Makacho. And I'm your host, Faye Kakai. Tune in every Monday for engaging one-on-one discussions. We'll be talking to a variety of entrepreneurs, support organizations, as well as hosting solution panels tackling specific topics on the ecosystem in Uganda. Welcome to Ground Up. Today we're talking to an ecosystem actor from Deal Flow Facility. Uh, that's part of the financial sector deepening FSD Uganda. We have Nora Koigi Ingari in the studio representing the facility and she'll introduce herself shortly. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, do subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. Welcome, Nora. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Faye. So could you start by telling us about yourself? Who is Nora Koege Ngari and uh, what role do you play at um, financial sector deepening Uganda? Sure. So my name is Nora Koege Ngari and I am the director of the deal flow facility at FSD Uganda. So I'm a finance professional with 15 years experience. Started out in treasury, commercial banking treasury, specifically trading foreign exchange and fixed income. Then I moved on to corporate finance and the last five years was spent in impact investing. Then I joined the Dealflow facility in August of this year. Outside of work, I enjoy angel investing, reading, swimming, and traveling. Oh, awesome. Um, great. So I guess before we get into the Dealflow facility, let's just talk a bit about the, the landscape in general in, U- in Uganda. From your perspective, What's the state of financing for SMEs uh, in Uganda? What does it look like? And, and what are the major issues that, that you observe? So SME financing in Uganda still has a lot of potential and a lot of way to go because SMEs are still unable to access the financing that they need. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is that the main form of financing that's well known to SMEs is commercial bank financing which is actually, ironically, not necessarily accessible to most SMEs, mainly from two perspectives. One is cost, second is collateral, which a lot of SMEs may not have. So the key challenges that I see SMEs facing is, as mentioned, access to finance. The second one is information asymmetry. And the third is a lack of technical assistance. And I'll go through each of these. Yeah. So from an access to finance perspective, like I mentioned, what happens is that uh, SMEs often know of only commercial banking finance, Mm. and this is inaccessible for various reasons. Most importantly is that it's quite expensive, and especially in Uganda, we see interest rates at very high rates. Secondly, a lot of these SMEs, especially when you're talking about traders, may not necessarily have the collateral it requires to access commercial banking financing. The second one is information asymmetry. And what we mean by this is that the information is skewed in the market. So in this case, we see that SMEs do not necessarily have the information required to know about what else is available outside of commercial banking financing. So they often don't know where else to go, whereas there's actually quite a bit of financing outside the banking system available. For instance, especially if you're looking at very early stage businesses, we have angel investors, we have venture capital, then going up the growth ladder slightly, we have impact investors, we have private equity, and all this is available outside of the commercial banking system. But this is often not known by SMEs who are looking for financing. So the third challenge that 
SMEs face is a lack of technical assistance, which we know as TA. So the specific kind of technical assistance that they do not have access to is pre-bankability technical assistance. And what this means is that SMEs often need some sort of help or handholding before they're able to access finance because there may be gaps in the businesses that technical assistance can then fill, which will make them attractive to investors. Now, the irony is that investors are often the ones who actually point out these gaps in businesses before they invest, but they are not willing to provide technical assistance before they invest. Mm. So a lack of pre-bankability TA is a key challenge because SMEs then get stuck because they can't access financing without this technical assistance, but they can't access the technical assistance before they get the financing. Yeah. Mm. That's a big catch-22 there. So we're talking about SMEs and you've highlighted some of those issues for SMEs in general. But there's this segment of focus um, that we often hear talk about, the missing middle. Could you explain to us uh, what the missing middle is and, and what, what drives the gap in financing for this particular segment? So the missing middle has very many various definitions, but in its essence, it's essentially the gap between startups and growth businesses. So businesses are somewhere in the middle where they're not able to access startup financing because they're too big, but are also not able to access growth financing because they're too small. So the boundaries of the missing middle vary, but some definitions claim that this is between the $250,000 mark requirement up to about $1 million. Mm. But this band is, is flexible depending on whom you ask. So one of the main reasons why businesses are not able, why the missing middle gets forgotten is efficiency, mm-hmm. specifically from the point of view of investors. So sometimes investors will see that it takes the same amount of effort and the same amount of cost to close a $10 million transaction as it does a $500,000 transaction. You need the same amount of manpower, the same amount of time on due diligence, and the same amount of time in actually transaction closure. So it tends to be inefficient from the point of view of the investor. So this is one key reason why Mm. the missing middle in fact, happens. Mm. Another reason is that there's a lot, especially now, a lot of focus on startup financing. So you will see a lot of attention on early stage businesses where there's quite a bit of financing ranging from grant capital to angel investing to venture capital. But then once these businesses cross that startup phase, then funding starts to dry up. Mm. Another reason is that a lot of the financing available for the pri- for the missing middle is essentially private equity. But we see specifically, in, if we're looking at the Ugandan context, there's quite a bit of aversion to private equity from the point of view of enterprises, businesses. So the historical opinion mm-hmm. is that when you give up some sort of equity, you, you lose ownership. But what people forget is that you would rather have a smaller percentage of a bigger pie mm. than 100% of a very small pie. So there's still some market learning that needs to be done around private equity and the positives it presents to businesses. So these are some of the key reasons why the missing middle essentially gets forgotten. Yeah. Can I ask a, just sort of a tangent on that? Um, uh, what's your view of, of of local capital formation? So one thing that tickled me is maybe, you know, the people who are trying to explain what venture capital is and private equity are not 
uh, maybe it's, it's 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 foreign farms or that sort of thing that not people who are relatable like you and me. Um, is, is is there work to 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 sort of encourage uh, to drive local capital formation? For example, uh, you, you talked about angel investors. You know, I know there's Kampala Angel Investment Network. Um, is there work to bring in um, other people who are sitting on, on on pots of money like the the the, the, the investment clubs, uh, the circles, the church circles also have quite a bit of money. Is there any work in your opinion that's being done to bring these people into the fold? Those people might be more relatable uh, in terms of even driving that uh, conversation forward around uh, private equity venture capital i think there is some work being done but i don't think it's sufficient and what we often see is that the people or the businesses that would benefit most from this kind of market building knowledge are not really do not know about it so there's not sufficient noise around this information being available in the market Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, in, in addition to access to financing, SMEs tend to face um, other challenges, you know, on, on their quest for growth. Uh, or put it another way, access to finance is not the only thing. And even if you, you solved access to finance, there are other things you'll run into that um, either are, are, uh, cannot be done away with just sinking money or uh, you need to fix fast actually before even, you know, the, the, the companies are, uh, are uh, can, can, can absorb um, any form of financing. So what, what, what other challenges do you see in the ecosystem away from the finance uh, aspect of it? What we tend to see, especially around SMEs, smaller SMEs and family-owned businesses is that they tend to be run fairly informally and they often don't have sufficient records, sufficient structure to actually show potential for growth. I'll give you an example. You'll find a business that is quite successful because its ecosystem and value chain allows it to be, but does not necessarily have systems in place that have segregated functions that then allow for accountability and record keeping. So... In essence, these businesses succeed on, for lack of a better word, a fluke. Mm -hmm. But in order to grow and access alternative sources of financing, they need to institutionalize. So this is one key issue that businesses are faced with. So for instance, you'll go into an SME and find that they don't have a board structure, for instance. But this is really important to investors because there needs to be governance, strong governance and corporate governance and accountability, like who's holding the management responsible for their actions. So so these are some of the challenges we come across in SMEs, specifically and most saliently in family-owned businesses. Okay. So um so 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 that's one with the businesses themselves. Is there anything within the uh, I guess the, the the environment or the context in which they're operating with, in, you know, from a policy perspective or other enabling perspectives that uh, you think um, still poses a challenge? So one other thing that is a challenge for SMEs, especially when they're trying to raise capital, is that they do not necessarily have sufficient access to transaction support services. Mm-hmm. So for instance, if you're going to close a transaction with an investor, you will need to have legal support. You will need to have a business advisor. You'll need to actually have people around you 
who can tell you whether this is a good deal or not because as an SME you're not expected to be an expert in investing but you need to access the ecosystem that will support you in actually ensuring that you have a good transaction so transaction support services are really lacking and there's various reasons for this and what most SMEs cite as a concern is the cost of these services yeah So in your opinion Nora what 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 alternative type of long term funding exists uh in Uganda and and how can our SMEs tap into those So there are various types of alternative financing sources outside of the commercial banking system that are accessible to businesses and this really will depend on the size of the business that we're talking about yeah. So for instance if we're talking about very early stage businesses that are still just past the idea stage then we have angel investors who are essentially individuals of high net worth that are investing their personal wealth mm-hmm. then slightly bigger than that we have the venture capital funds who are typically early stage investors as well but they come in at the point where businesses have a proof of concept and now they are achieving high growth and This typically could be high net worth individuals but it's often a pool of high net worth individual who then have institu- institutional fund formed. In the growth stage, businesses can access private equity which is essentially a pool of funds that invest in businesses and take an equity stake in exchange. And private equity is typical of the growth stage and the pre-IPO stage where IPO is initial public offering. So before businesses are able to list then they take on some private equity that helps their business with growing their systems internally and providing commercial rigor so private equity really is a key stepping stone to the point where businesses can now actually access other forms of financing then we also have impact investors who invest specifically with the lens of creating a positive impact so beyond not doing harm they specifically seek businesses that po- contribute positively to social environmental and economic impact so this also often comes with some form of technical assistance so these are th- the main kinds of investors that are available in the Ugandan market okay so speaking of the alternative types of long term financing um that you have highlighted bringing it back to the deal flow facility could you tell our listeners what the deal flow facility is exactly and what your motivation was for setting this up at FSD so the deal flow facility is a matchmaking facility and what this means is that we don't have any capital of our own to invest but we do have a facility that allows us to take businesses through some technical assistance that gets them investor ready and then matches them with investors So the deal flow facility in essence is a matchmaking facility where we onboard enterprises, Ugandan enterprises specifically, work with them to address any challenges or gaps they may have and mm. get them to the point where they're investor ready and match them with investors. So in essence that's what the deal flow facility is. The deal flow facility was set up by the Capital Markets Authority of Uganda, Financial Sector Deepening Uganda and is funded by the European Union. Ah awesome. So what are the major components of the facility? You've talked about the matchmaking aspect. Um are there any other major components of the facility in terms of what you provide? So outside of the key stakeholders, like I mentioned the CMA, FSD Uganda and the EU, the deal flow facility has three main stakeholders. Enterprises, Ugandan enterprises specifically, investors and intermediaries. And I'll take you through each one of them. Sure. So for enterprises we're looking at working with Ugandan enterprises and what this means is businesses registered and operating in Uganda. 
We're also looking at businesses that are looking for at least $500,000 in growth capital. The third criteria is that we're looking for businesses that have at least two years of audited statements. Then when we're talking about investors, we're looking to work with any investor that's active in Uganda outside of commercial banks. So it's any of the ones that we've mentioned, angel investors, venture capital, private equity, impact investors. Then the third category of stakeholder for the Delphi facility is intermediaries, and these are split into two. So we envision intermediaries in two categories. One is the providers of business development services, also known as technical assistance. So when we work with these businesses, with the enterprises and identify the gaps, we then recommend providers of technical assistance who then come in and help these businesses work with the deal flow facility to help these businesses get to the point where they're investor ready. The second type of intermediary is transaction support intermediaries who come in later in the process where businesses have made successful matches with investors. So this transaction support intermediaries help the businesses to close the transactions. And examples of these intermediaries would be your lawyers, your business advisors, and your accountants. Okay. Um, so, so something um, to be so just just to understand a little better how it all works. So, for the investors um, who are listening in and uh, want to be involved, what exactly are they getting from this? Is it pipeline, or what, what do the investors exactly benefit? Uh, what's their benefit from? That's a great question, Ham. So for investors, the first thing to note is that this is a non-monetary interaction. So we do not require investors to pay anything to the deal flow facility. What investors get is really a pipeline of readily investable businesses. So we work with investors to understand what their needs are from, from businesses and then work with businesses to ensure that we can actually develop a pipeline that is suited for the investors. So the output, the key output and value proposition we have for investors is a pipeline of readily investable businesses. Okay, great. And then uh, for the intermediaries, you said there's the the transaction advisors and and um, I guess the business development support people. I guess for those ones, it's really you know there's there's you you're giving them business to actually get these. Uh, this 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 uh, business is uh, investor ready. Uh, does that mean that there's some sort of subsidy you're giving? One of the biggest issues we hear around businesses accessing such services is the cost. So does this mean that um, you know businesses are getting these services from these uh, intermediaries uh, intermediaries gratis, where you know DFF uh, picks up the tab, or how does that exactly work? So for the intermediaries, what we expect is that they will be competitive in their pricing. Mm -hmm. So we do not expect them to offer free services because really this is their business. Mm -hmm. However, by working with a big panel of of intermediaries, what we've done is actually allow businesses to then choose whom to work with from this panel that we have curated. Okay. So for intermediaries that want to work with the deal flow facility, what we'll do is have an expression of interest where the intermediaries can then give us their proposal of what their services are as well as their costing and successful intermediaries will then be included in a panel of intermediaries that businesses can then choose from. So why we chose this model is that we recognize that businesses need agency in choosing whom to work with. So the deal for facility will not impose technical assistance providers. What we will do is empower businesses to choose the appropriate technical assistance providers for their needs. So we will 
Accompanying the curated list of TA providers will provide a guide to businesses on how to select an appropriate technical assistance provider. Mm-hmm. And the essence of this guide is really questions you should ask before you engage a technical assistance provider. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, so um, when you're speaking about the businesses that you target and what you're providing, you mentioned that uh, these are businesses seeking investment of not less than $500,000. Yeah, but we know most Ugandan businesses are actually micro and small businesses. They fall in that category. Do you believe that you're cutting off um, the majority of Ugandan businesses? How did uh, Is that a consideration for you? And um, I guess what could you say to that? That's a great question, Faye, and it has come up severally. What we recognize is that, as mentioned in the DFF mandate, we are looking at supporting growth stage businesses. Mm -hmm. So essentially, businesses looking for less than 500,000, we would consider earlier stage businesses. And what we find is that there is quite a bit of support available for early stage businesses. So we are looking at a portion of the missing middle, Mm -hmm. so to speak. So we recognize that 500,000 and above is a ticket size that's attractive to investors because remember the goal of the deal flow facility is to ensure that deals get done. Mm. So it is important to actually provide investors with what they are looking for because otherwise the DFF would be redundant for lack of a better word. So the 500,000 ticket size is well considered and is what we consider the beginning of the growth stage. So yeah, it it sounds like... um at least from where I'm sitting, a bit complex. It seems like there's quite a few moving parts. And from what I'm hearing is it's, it's, it's going to be built on, on, on some sort of partnerships, right? Um, uh, and I think you've already sort of mentioned it. I just wanted it to be come out a little clearer. What kind of partnerships are you looking to to get this facility done? So as you rightly mentioned, the DFF is a fairly complex facility. So what we're doing is also digitizing the process so that the Ecosystem participants actually have a seamless way of interacting both with the DFF and with each other. Mm -hmm. So the DFF will be hosted on an online platform Mm -hmm. that will allow three kinds of participants to participate. On the one track is enterprises. So enterprises will apply to join the deal flow facility. And if they meet the three criteria that we discussed earlier, then they will be onboarded onto the DFF platform. Then due diligence will happen and some business diagnostics will happen and a business diagnostic report will be produced that will essentially point out what the gaps are in these businesses. Mm -hmm. At this point, then technical assistance will be prescribed and if the business agrees, then they'll be able to see the panel of TA providers that we'll have. And these technical assistance providers are also participants in the deal flow facility, so the matching with TA providers will also happen on the platform. Mm -hmm. Then the third level of interaction is the investors. So the investors will also be onboarded on this platform where they will then give us what their mandate is. What are they looking for? What sector are they looking for? How much are they looking for? What kind of business are they looking for? Then once this information is there, then at the point where businesses are ready to match with investors, then the investors and the businesses can then be matched based on what they have stated their needs are. Yeah. So so it, it sounds like, um, you know, on the investor side, I guess they have the... Most investors tend to be sophisticated angel investors, and there's work with angel investors as well. But on the on 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 the TA providers, right, technical assistance providers, one of the things we've seen is a lot of um, you know TAs is synonymous with BDS, right, business development services. A lot of the players in this space are are also 
startups themselves. So they require some, you know, capacity, you know, building themselves. And we've seen players like Village Capital and them come up with programs to do that. Uh, the, 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 I guess the, my specific question to the DFF is, given that you're going to have a pre-selection of, 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 of uh, a pre-selected panel of providers, um, doesn't this run the risk of just um, working with the, with the, with the, already established many times multinational type uh, tier providers or is there a deliberate effort to to um, do otherwise? So on the TA selection, the main criteria for selection really is just testing the integrity of these TA providers because we do not want to present a panel that has legacy issues or pending court cases or integrity concerns yeah. to businesses. So that is the primary lens with which we are looking at intermediaries. Mm-hmm. The second lens is that we would we require some sort of experience. They don't have to be experienced in a wide suit of technical assistance, but they need to actually have some a bit of track record. Mm-hmm. And the reason for this is that the medium to one of the medium term goals of the deal flow facility is to actually have technical assistance for intermediaries. Okay. So we recognize that TA providers are not necessarily experts. They, like you rightly mentioned, could be startups. Some of them are individuals even, not just corporate entities. So the deal flow facilities aim is to also develop the technical assistance and BDS support services in the Ugandan market. Okay. Um, so, uh, again, to, to achieve your, your goals... Um, uh, rather than you know the the, the sort of uh, partnerships you've built, I think that the, the, there's a broader environment in which you play, right? Um, are you seeing the scope for working with other potential actors to maybe you know um, address some challenges that will ultimately make the D- the DFF more um, successful? Uh, how are you thinking about the collective action that needs to? happen within you know your 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 ecosystem to 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 make this a success absolutely because we recognize as a dff that there are other players in the market who are doing similar things as the deal flow facility proposes to do mm-hmm. and we are not trying to duplicate efforts so we actually view these entities as collaborators rather than competitors because we do have a common goal. So we're partnering with a few of this specifically around the content development for curriculum for okay. our technical assistance to, and also around our market building and knowledge sharing arms of the deal flow facility. Mm-hmm. And how is this market building um, going to play out? What, what are the plans around that? One of the key outcomes of the deal flow facility is knowledge sharing and market building. And what that means is constantly sharing our learnings because as front row participants to the market, we will have key insights that the market may not necessarily have of the ecosystem in Uganda. So sharing knowledge is one of our key outcomes. And how we plan to do this is that we shall have biweekly webinars some masterclasses, and also tools and templates hosted on the DFF online platform that will be accessible to all. Okay. Yeah. We are also developed, we have also developed a foundational technical assistance course on the basics of capital raising in the Ugandan market. And the value add here is that we take a fairly generic course around uh, capital raising, but then bring it home to the Ugandan context. So there's specific points addressed there around say, regulation, tax mm-hmm. policy. Mm-hmm. So these issues will be addressed in this course, and this course is actually available to anyone who would like to attend. 
Great. Ah, uh, great. So, what's your anticipated impact from from this facility, Nara? So, there are four key outcomes that the Deal Flow facility aims to meet, and one of these is to ensure that deals get done. So, we would like at the end of five years to have done to have closed deals and made successful matches between Ugandan enterprises and investors. Is there a number you're looking at? So, we're looking to have at least forty deals closed by the end of the program, the five years of the program. And by closing deals, we mean successful matches, but also money changing hands. The second point of impact is we are looking at job creation and job creation specifically the gender angle. So what we find is that by investing in SMEs, the SME grows and employs more people, and this results in direct and positive impact to families. Then the third key outcome is, like I mentioned earlier, knowledge sharing and market building. So we as the deal flow facility have a responsibility to share our knowledge. So after businesses have gone through the deal flow facility and through our entire process and deals are done, there will be key learnings that we will develop from this process. And these will then be disseminated to all market participants that are interested because it is critical to actually develop the ecosystem, not just do something to ensure that we achieve our targets, but to also yeah. ensure that the ecosystem actually grows. And the fourth key outcome that we envision is around advocacy and policy. So our key learnings we envision, we will have, we'll have a policy angle where we'll be able to actually go back to the regulators and say, these are the gaps we've identified in the market, and this is what we think can be done to improve the ecosystem. Okay, so you talk about developing the ecosystem. So, I mean, five years from now, when you've concluded this facility, what will success look like? What changes do you hope to see, you know, in the general landscape? So success looks like beyond closing the deal, actually getting businesses to the point where they are armed with information and they know what's available out there. They know what they need to do to access what's available out there. And they know also to how to be introspective and understand where their own gaps are so that they can prepare themselves better to access financing. Great. So is there any final advice uh, or sort of parting shot you'd want to leave, especially for businesses that are looking for long-term financing? So beyond getting deals done, the deal flow facility aims to empower businesses to the point where they are able to be introspective and to fully understand their own businesses because only once you understand your business will you be able to present it to someone else. Yeah. Um, and I think you mentioned uh, earlier on that you're in the pilot stage, so you're just looking to launch. When is, when is the facility actually launching? Great. So we're currently conducting a pilot phase that we will see us go to the end of December, and we plan to officially launch mid-January next year. So mid-January next year when you launch, what's this going to look like? You're inviting X number of businesses to come, or you're looking to... Um, do an assessment for how many people over or how many businesses uh, over what period of time is it? Is it going to be a cohort based thing, or it's, it's as, as 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 you come is when you interact with the facility and uh, go through it at your own pace? Great question, Ham. So the launch specifically will be as inclusive as possible, and in the lead up to the launch, we will have a series of market building events where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, and intermediaries. One, to disseminate the findings of our studies so far and to also explain what the value proposition is for the deal flow facility in the ramp up to the launch. So the deal flow facility will have a rolling application mm -hmm. where applications remain open year round. 
then we recognize that businesses will have differing technical assistance needs and some may not have any needs at all and may be ready to match. Yeah. So for this reason, then we will have a rolling application where businesses go through the process as and when they need it. Yeah. So so are there any, we like to, to, to be the first to get really nuggets of wisdom. Are there any early lessons that you can share with us, you know, at this early stage with, with, with your pilot? What seems to be coming out of it without stealing your thunder that will come in January, I guess? <laughs> so we find that businesses are still quite averse to private equity, but with some awareness and sensitization, they're coming around to understanding that as long as you pick the right partner and you fully understand what's in your legal agreements, private equity is actually a positive way to grow your business. Let's go down that learning though. Um, what, 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 what's, what, as a business, as, as Ham Incorporated, how do I figure out what uh, the best partner is from a private equity standpoint? Uh, I've never fundraised. I've never, I don't know what, you know, pitfalls are there, what, what's lurking around the corner. How, how, how would a, a business like mine start thinking through um, who the right partners are? And I, I believe this should be, it's probably going to be a, a component. I mean, you're going to have a, a various 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 uh, investors that you're trying to match these businesses with how does uh, a novice like harm get to understand who you should pick so a couple of points here one you should pick a partner whose interests are aligned with yours so just look at what they've done in the past in terms of transactions and see how they've handled those transactions mm-hmm. did they go in and grow the business over time or did they just get in and sell to the first person that came about so, and to help you understand this, I think it's critical, especially when you're looking at tra- private equity, to look at a transaction advisor. Mm-hmm. Because businesses are not expected to be experts in the investment world. Mm-hmm. But having the right support will ensure that you get the, right, the best deal possible. But that also begs the second question. How do I know who the best transaction advisor is? Because I think, like, like you said, there's a lot of information asymmetry, right? I, as the business, I might even have the appreciation that I need to do all these things. Okay, now the investor, you've solved that for me. Maybe you've given me some sort of framework within which to think. Then how, how do I find out um, who the... The, the, the best transaction advice. Or, or you don't necessarily have to be the best, but who will do a great job for me? Who will be in my corner? Now, I, are there some sort of standardizations? We, we, when you're, you know, is there some sort of certification that people can look at? Uh, or is just by the time someone is on your panel, then, then they've been vetted. So tip, just pick one of them. So you join the deal for facility <laughs> and we take you through the process of picking our transaction advisor. But seriously, there's there's guides out there on how to pick the right transaction advisor. But the most critical thing we find is integrity. So when you're looking for a transaction advisor, just do a quick Google search and just see if they've had any cases in the past, any integrity concerns. Because once it, integrity is lacking, then you're setting yourself up for a lot of problems down the line. Yeah. It may not be evident at this point, but... They could happen. So the biggest issue is really integrity. Secondly, look at what this transaction advisor has done in the past. If you're looking at capital raising, for instance, look through this this company's previous transactions. Have they done anything similar to what you're doing? Because if they have and have a track record in that, chances are they'll be successful when working with you. So those two things I think are critical and if those two, if you can tick those two boxes then everything else well 
most other things will fall into place. But integrity and track record are critical. Yeah, and I'm also curious to know. So one of the things we've also been running into uh, around the question of, um, you know, we've been calling it TA, pre-investment, BDS, very many things. Basically, businesses are ready to grow and are looking for money and they need assistance to become ready. Um, first of all, who's out there that's doing this this work so so it's it's not very clear who what the landscape for bds providers or take ta um providers is um who's out there um what stages are they playing at what quality is is this is this work that you guys have done or it's part it's going to be part of you getting to a point where you have this panel or do you think there's a broader need to um sort of arrive at uh, answers to those uh, questions so the DFF has done quite a bit of work in understanding the landscape in which we plan to operate. And what we found is that there's quite a few accelerators and incubators active in the Ugandan market mm-hmm. with varying degrees of quality and experience. Yeah. So the market is there in terms of business development services. And what we see is that a lot of the needs that businesses would have or would be faced with mm-hmm. would be covered by one TA provider or another. And what we find is that a lot of the TA providers then tend to have a wide range of experiences. So they're not often very specialized in just one area. They'll do a a wide variety of things. And then another follow-on question from that is, because uh, today actually I was um, talking at the at the Kampala Innovation Week, and one of the questions that came from the audience was um, why our BDS providers aren't specialized, um, and pointed it out as a as as as, as an issue. Uh, I think the motivation was. Um, you know, because people are trying to survive, like we said earlier, they're, 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 you know, they're startups for themselves, especially in these times of COVID, you're not sending away any business. Anyone who comes, hey, come, yeah, I do that, I do that, there. you know, I do everything for every stage. Um, have you found that this lack of specialization is um, a real issue or um, are, the, are, are the providers that are available um solid enough to sort of handle a breadth of of, of, of of types of companies? I don't think a lack of specialization is necessarily a negative, mm-hmm. especially as long as these TA providers recognize where their gaps are and subcontract if need be. So what we find is that, for instance, one of our partners that is our BDS provider is not specialized. But what they do is that they have a team of technical assistant technical assistance experts in-house, but if they come across an area of need that's outside their scope, yeah. what they'll do is subcontract to an expert in that field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so being able to call on uh, on two expertise where you need it and bring it in. Cool. Exactly. Yeah. So how can businesses participate in these pre-launch activities? Um, where can they find out more information um, and the different stakeholders that you know, you're seeking to partner with? How can they get more information about the facility? So in the lead up to the launch, we will have a few media engagements and social media posts. So keep an eye out on the FSD Uganda LinkedIn page, Twitter page, Facebook. We will disseminate all the information around how to participate in the deal flow facility. Additionally, we're working with industry associations to disseminate the information around the deal flow facility to their members, both on the supply side 
and on the demand side. What this means is investor associations as well as enterprise associations in various sectors. Yeah, and uh, you know, uh, feel free to to use uh, UEEI. Yeah. We have a newsletter that goes out. Um, very happy to surface such information and opportunities. It's important that we we surface these opportunities to to the wider ecosystem. Uh, so feel free to leverage us as well. Definitely. We definitely will. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Nora. And uh, we're excited about this uh, facility launching in January. We'll be looking out to wish you all the best, and we hope you achieve the impact and the success that you're looking to from ground up. Thank you, Faye, and thank you, Ham. Tune in to Ground Up every Monday. Subscribe and share this content if you find it useful. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Amazon, and wherever else you listen to podcasts.